Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. Welcome back this week. I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Bible Interact TV and Foundations in Torah. And I would like again to encourage you to visit the BibleInteract.tv website. And you can stay abreast of all the work of all our various scholars. And we all sort of have a different angle on how we look at things. But basically, we're trying to bring you the Hebraic backdrop and the Hebraic foundation of the New Testament scriptures, and make, making sure that they tie to the Tanakh and really take them all the way back to the book of Genesis. So if you would like more information, uh, I would suggest you go to the website. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, and you can uh, stay abreast of the latest work for all of our scholars. Again, my own website, Foundations in Torah, and uh, it is a membership website. You can sign up for whatever level you would enjoy and uh, lots of good teaching on there as well. We are talking about the dew of heaven or the dew of the resurrection. This concept in the rabbinic literature that this dew is sort of the life-giving force of the resurrection of the dead. Last time we started out in Exodus 16 kind of laid the the groundwork for that whole chapter in the manna and the wilderness and we've been talking about how there is the manna and there is the dew, and they're two very different things. So sort of the construction of it, when you read about halfway through Exodus 16, you find that uh, there's the manna, but on top of the manna is sort of this layer of dew that in the morning the sun would melt off that layer of dew. But what we miss, and you kind of can see it in, in Numbers 11.9, there's actually a layer of dew on the ground as well. So there's a layer of dew over the manna, and there's a layer of dew over the ground. The idea here is that if the dew represents the resurrection of the dead, the life-giving force, if you will, the power of the Spirit, we have in this story the atonement certainly brought through Messiah as the dew, which actually the one of the words used there is kapur for covering, the same word that you would have for Yom Kippur but that the dew was the life-giving force raising up the manna. And as that melted off, that left exposed a dew on the ground. And I would just like to suggest that the first resurrection would be dealing with the first fruits of the Messiah, his resurrection at the time of Passover, and that the greater resurrection of the rest of the uh, righteous dead would take place in the season in the fall. Uh, we believe it would happen uh, at the time of Rosh Hashanah, but but the entire season and into Sukkot. So those are our two main times in the year for the redemption. So this dew sandwich, if you will, the dew on the manna, the life-giving force raising up the manna, raising up Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, and then the dew on the ground, and that would be the raising up the life-giving force for the rest of the uh, righteous dead. And we did mention last time something about the hurtful dues. And I, re- I recommended you read in Revelation 20. But talking about, the, of course, we want to get uh, blessed is he who goes through the, uh, the, the first resurrection. We don't want to be part of, this, of the second death. That's the resurrection of the unrighteous, if you will. 
Now we closed it out last time. We talked about how in that portion of scripture it talked about uh, collecting the manna, a portion per person. And we said that the portion is actually the Hebrew word omer. And of course we're in the season of the counting of the omer. And that the Hebrew word therefore per person was gulgolet, which I hope you can hear in that the word Golgotha. Gulgolet means is referring to a head or the skull. And of course, Golgotha was called the place of the skull. It's kind of an interesting take. Uh, I, let me quickly reread from the Zohar. Uh, this is from 1130b. It says, In the Golgotha sit 13,000 myriads of worlds from Golgotha. Dew drips upon him who is outside and fills his head every day. So again, here's that relationship between Golgotha and the skull and the head. Now this is from the Song of Songs 5.2. My head is filled with dew. So again, you see the dew, the head, the concept of the skull. And from that dew which he shakes from his head, the dead will awaken in the world to come. So this is not, uh, we're not pulling this out of a vacuum, but this is something that was understood in the rabbinic literature. And again, it might be an indication, I can't say for sure, but it might be an indication that Golgotha was then actually the place of the atonement and ultimately from there Yeshua was resurrected from the dead. Again, we go back in that chapter, I want to pick this up, that we talked about this last time as well, that of course they could only collect one portion per person for each of the five days. So on those five days that they collected, they could not have any extra. They could not have any leftovers, if you will. Now on the sixth day, of course, they collected the double portion, that portion for the sixth day, and then an extra portion, if you will, for the seventh day. And that extra portion is often called the leftovers. And I think that'll help help you make sense of some things in John 6 and also in the story of Ruth. And it was the Sabbath, the Shabbat portion, always remained fresh. And even though it was collected on the sixth day, it remained fresh for the seventh day. Now, by the time we get to the temple periods, we know that there's a special ceremony that the priests would be involved in at the table of showbread, the uh, the table, the shulchan, lechem hapanim, the table of the bread of the of the faces or the bread of the presence, and they would actually bake the bread on Friday, and then they would uh, trade out the bread. The, the old bread from the previous week would be traded out on the Shabbat. And uh, the, the priests would actually eat the bread that was a week old. It's hard for me to imagine what a week old challah tastes like. But they would eat it, and it was said to have been as fresh as it was on the day that they put it down on the table. And that the amount of flour that was used in the baking of those 12 loaves of bread that would sit on the table was actually an omer. So there's probably the ceremony that came uh, that came out of this. So that's kind of interesting. Again, that the the Shabbat, the Sabbath portion, always remained fresh. And that the food for Shabbat was the bread. And it was the bread that left them full and it left them satisfied. Now, you'll remember what happened with those who tried to gather the extra portions or the leftovers, if you will, during the five days. And if they did that, then what would they discover? That the manna that they had collected the extra they tried to collect, if you will, in the five days was uh, filled with worms. That word for worms, toliaim, which actually means crimson, 
would be found in any of the sort of extra leftover manna, if you will, on the five days. Now, worms are a picture in my mind of, of decay, the idea of a body decaying and certainly pointing to this physical world in which we live in. Think of Isaiah 118, though your sins are like scarlet. Uh, they will be white as snow, even if they are red as crimson. And that word there, tolat sheni, is referring to the worm, the, the dye, the red dye that comes from the worm. They will be like wool. So this tolat, tolaim would be plural tolat, the worm in Exodus 16, is the animal that uh, where the dye for the crimson color comes from. That crimson color is the color used in making the garments for the high priest and also in the tabernacle curtains. So let me just explain to you a little bit about the worm, which is sort of very, uh, very fascinating uh, story, and especially if we connect it to what's going on here. So it's as it goes, the crimson female worm climbs onto an oak tree. That's the place where she's going to give birth to her babies. She will give birth to the family, and then after doing that, she will literally die. So she brings forth new life in the larvae, and then once that new life comes forth, she dies. Now, when she climbs up into the oak tree, she makes sure that she's secure. So she literally attaches herself to the oak tree, and she doesn't want to, uh, she wants to be solid in that tree because the, her body is going to provide the shelter for all the young larvae. And so the female worm lays her eggs, and then she literally shelters them underneath her body. Now, during this, the birthing process of the coming forth of the larvae, she actually secretes a crimson fluid. And this crimson fluid uh, covers her body and covers her eggs. And what's interesting is it leaves a stain on the tree that never fades, just like a dye would. This is a, a permanent stain on the oak tree from the dye from this, uh, from this worm. So for three days after this, it said that the worm could actually be scraped from the tree and that the gel, that crimson gel that comes with it, is the dye that's then used, of course, for the high priest garments and the tabernacle curtains. But it is that on the fourth day, the worm pulled its head and its tail together, becoming harp-shaped. And so now it's no longer crimson. It's actually white as snow. And it is as a wax. And so this wax can then be harvested and used as a preservative for the wood. So isn't that an amazing analogy then between, uh, between that and what, of course, Yeshua the Messiah accomplished? So even in something that seems very insignificant. So the worm, the decay in this physical present age in which we live in, but the food or the leftovers <clears throat> will be for the world to come, for the time of the kingdom, the messianic kingdom. Now I'm going <clears> to <throat> veer off here just a little bit into the story of Ruth, because this is going to help explain this idiom of the leftovers. And, of course, when does the story of Ruth take place? That's at the time of Shavuot. Now, we are, again, in the period of the counting of the Omer. It told us back at the beginning of Exodus 16 that it was the second month. It was the 15th of the second month, which was the time of what we call the Pesach Sheni, or the second Passover. But we are certainly in the season of the counting of the Omer. Now, Ruth uh, 2.14 tells us, it says that Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here, eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. 
So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain or barley to her, and she ate, and she was full, and she had some left over. So the sages have had kind of a field day with this particular portion of scripture, but let me just point out sort of the idioms that they say are in this particular passage. So the idea of Boaz saying to her at mealtime, come here and eat, this idea of come and eat uh, from various Midrashic stories was an idiom for someone to approach royalty. So she was called to come and approach uh, Boaz or to come to approach royalty. And it says, and she ate and she was full and she had some leftover. So to their mind, this idea of her eating goes, takes us back to Exodus 16 when they were eating in the evening. You remember what did God send for them? He gave them quail, meat for the evening. So she ate meant it was an idiom for this world that we live in, this physical world that we live in. And she was full was an idiom for pointing to the days of the Messiah. And she had some left over was pointing to the world, the world to come, the future age to come. And this comes from uh, Shabbat 113b. You can find that in the Babylonian Talmud. Of course, what was the grain of the time? The grain was the, uh, the, was the barley. The barley was the omer, that portion that was to be waved, starting in the counting of the omer on going back to the time of Passover. And, of course, there's a controversy over that, and I'm not going to get into that today, but either Nisan 16 or 17, the, the counting of the over, the waving of the barley would begin. And that barley was actually planted 70 days before Passover. So let's talk a little bit about then the service, uh, what we call Habikarim or the um, the first fruits, the Haomer at the temple. So the priests would go, they would mark the portion. Now remember I said it was planted 70 days before. Now they would mark the portion of the growing barley for the offering. And then in the early evening on Yom Habikarim, they went out into the field and then they would ask the crowd that had gathered various questions about the process. And there they would reap an ephah, if you will, of barley. They would then return to the temple court. They'd thresh the grains of the barley with rods, and they didn't want to they do that so they didn't damage the barley. And then they began to lightly roast the barley over an open flame. And they milled the barley, and then they sifted the barley until they made a very, very fine flour. That flour was so fine that you could literally put your hand in it, and when you pulled your hand out, there would not be one grain of flour on your hand. And so in the morning, they would present this omer of the barley flour as a wave offering. And this is what continued on to Shavuot. So from Yom HaBikarim, the first fruits, the Feast of First Fruits, all the way up to Shavuot. And so this is our time frame in Exodus 16 as we make our way to um, to Exodus, uh, excuse me, to Mount Sinai, to the giving of the Torah at Shavuot. And I thought it was kind of interesting. It talked about dipping a morsel of bread in the vinegar. And the idea was this was said to refresh yourself from the heat of the day. So this is something they did, the harvester would do with the vinegar to sort of cool the body down from those many hours out into the hot sun. Uh, the word there for the vinegar is chometz, and you might recognize that sounds like chometz because it's basically the same word, has the same meaning, talking about something that uh, that ferments. So dipping the morsel in the vinegar, the idea was uh, that's what you would do to avoid sunstroke. 
So again, the vinegar meaning fermented or sour, what we would add to the leaven to make it uh, to make the bread puff up. So to me, it's kind of the message here. Think about them dipping the hyssop into the blood and and putting it over the entrance of the house at at the Passover to per, to protect it, if you will, from sunstroke. That is from the wrath of God, who is kind of a picture of the sun. And remember, Yeshua was given the hyssop on a sponge dipped in the sour wine or dipped into in that fermented wine. So kind of a picture again of his work on the tree that, that brought atonement and redemption and that he would provide the covering for heat stroke, if you will, to avoid the sort of the wrath of God upon us. That was his covering over us. So the image of the kingdom associated with the heat, the, the sun, the bright sun, the day, the light, all these various elements go with that. And really, if you think about it, I mean, the only time that we can stand in the presence of God is because of that protective covering that Yeshua the Messiah brings. So that is our protection, because if we were to stand in the presence of God, we would be completely burned up. And so that is what his atonement brought. Now, laying the groundwork for all that, let's go over to John chapter 6. And I would encourage you to read that. Uh, Of course, that chapter takes place at Passover. and There's all kinds of wonderful themes and illusions in there but to remember there the multitudes are out there and they don't have any food and this young lad shows up with five loaves and two fish and uh, they tell them to sit and it says it tells us in that passage that the men numbered five thousand and it was that Yeshua took the five loaves and the two fish and he made the baracha or the blessing and he gave thanks and then began to pass out the five loaves and two fish to all the men and women. Of course, there had to have been more than 5,000 if it was just the men that numbered 5,000. But it says in there that they, when they were full, Yeshua said, gather up the leftovers of food. So now again, we have these same idioms being used, that they ate and they were full, just like in Ruth 2.14, and they had leftovers. So that they ate in this present age, speaking of the the meat, the basar, they were filled at the time of the Messianic kingdom. And the Messianic kingdom, of course, really began with the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. And they had leftovers in the time of the world to come or the future age to come in which everyone would be resurrected from the dead. And those leftovers were uh, 12 baskets from uh, the five loaves of barley now became 12 basketfuls. So here's the spiritual food for the spiritual body at the time of the Sabbath or the Shabbat. And I believe pointing to, again, the resurrection of the dead, certainly pointing to the resurrection of Messiah and then ultimately the fullness of that. So the food for this age was the meat, the concept of eating meat in this present age. That was the quail that rained down upon them in Exodus 16. And that the future age, the food for the future age to come was the manna or the leftovers, that being the bread of heaven. Now, you'll recall, those of you who are familiar with the chamotzi, the blessing over the bread, it's actually an ancient prayer that was said to recall the resurrection of the dead. The idea of chamotzi lechem min ha'aretz, of bringing forth bread from the earth. And so this bread that comes forth out of the earth or sprouted out of the earth, it's it's as though that there's a, a presence kind of, 
hidden in the earth or a dormant presence and once it sprouts it comes forth out of the earth just like the resurrection of the dead so this is actually a prayer for the resurrection of the dead that they would come forth from the earth or out of the dust of the ground remember it tells us in isaiah 26:19 that the earth shall cast out its dead so the rabbis say that to offer a portion of bread was to offer a few drops of dew. Of course, they associate the dew with the resurrection of the dead. And you'll recall maybe in Luke 24, it said that the Messiah had to die like this before entering his glory. That is on the execution stake, just as a common criminal. criminal, But that on the third day, he would be raised. And so in that, he took the bread. He made the blessing, the baracha. And he broke the bread and he handed it to them, the Talmudim. And he says the one who says this blessing is the one who breaks the bread. So they're sharing this meal. Could be a Passover meal. Certainly a Shabbat meal. And it says it was then their eyes were opened. And he became known to them in the breaking of the bread. The idea of the breaking of the bread related to the resurrection of the dead. And he became known to them. He had been hidden, but then their eyes were open. And you can read all kinds of passages in the New Testament that are really uh, dealing with this. Um, certainly in Acts 2, 42 and 46, talking about the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The idea that after the resurrection would come forth the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And certainly the Spirit is associated with the dew of heaven or the dew of the resurrection. And remember back to John six fifty. What does he say? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, we're the living bread that's going to come up out of the earth, but he's the one who came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And so that's the whole idea of the world to come. The time of the world to come is the time of the eternal world where no one will die. It's the time of the fullness of the resurrection of the dead, and we will live forever. And so he's referring to that. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And in verse uh, 53, he says that, I tell you the truth, unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So this is all about eternal life, the time of the world to come, the kingdom. This is the food we call the leftovers, the leftovers that can be eaten in the time of the world to come. You'll remember, you, they could not eat the leftovers in the first five days when they were out in the wilderness or the worms would come in and decay would begin. So the, the concept of eating the bread of heaven on the Shabbat on, at the time of the Messianic kingdom is the food for the world to come. It will not decay. It is the, this is the food for eternity, if you will. So Yeshua said, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, the time of the messianic kingdom. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So it all sounds kind of, when you're reading it, it sounds very sort of uh, ethereal, if you will. But really, he's actually saying something concrete to them and something that they would have understood. So this whole picture we have now in Exodus chapter 16, it kind of, we're going to wrap it up here today. 
But this idea of the dew of heaven, the dew related to the manna, the life-giving force that allows the manna to be resurrected from the dead, and then the dew being on the ground for the resurrection of the rest of the righteous dead, and that the worms would enter in on the five days because the the five days we have the food for the, the present world in which we live in is meat or the basar or the gospel, if you will, but the food for the world to come is the bread that comes down from heaven. And, and we mentioned the, the, the per person each day, talking about the Omer and the Golgolet and, and the relationship to that and, and Golgotha. So all these things kind of tie together. So I hope that uh, that gives you a good understanding then of, of this particular narrative. And from this week, we're going to go into the story of, of Gideon and the fleece, because that's another place in which we have mentioned the dew and I think that ought to be a bit transformational from what we usually think that to mean. Again, I would like to encourage you to go to my website, Foundations in Torah. It's just www.foundationsintorah.com and consider becoming a member today and join me at whatever membership level that you can. And I look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time. And this uh, will be going on with the dew of heaven.